There's something beautiful about the emotion we call love. I'm on a mission to find out more about how it affects every being. It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every person has a different vantage point. When we truly know a soul, we find knowledge. Asking questions with an open mind is how we learn how to relate to one another. When we identify with someone beyond the surface level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every person on this planet has something impactful to share. This podcast is about expanding my vision and illuminating the threads that bind us together as a community. Simply put, This podcast is about the lessons in love I learn along the way in my journey of finding my true self. Welcome to Unified Threads. Welcome to Life is Movement. This episode is all about dance and how we use it as a form of communication both in the human world, or homo sapiens, as well as in the animal kingdom. Today we're going to hear from two guest speakers. The Ipsy Priestess of the Bees, Jamie Berlin, is going to share what we can potentially learn from one of the most important insects on the planet, who also communicates through body language like we do. Except for their body language is used in a way that helps the hives thrive as a whole. We're also going to hear from Solomon from Flowdance Montreal. Solomon Kruger shares the vision that he had about an intentional space that brings people together through dance, which can give them a sense of belonging. He'll be sharing how our energy being moved in a space can alter our emotions, even without the use of mood enhancers. I hope that you enjoy the episode. Before we get started with some thoughts from Jamie, I'd like to share a quick fact about the bees. Our lives and the world as a whole would be a much different place if bees didn't exist. To illustrate this fact, consider these numbers. Bees are responsible for pollinating about one-sixth of the flowering plant species worldwide at approximately 400 different agricultural types of plants. Now, what is pollination? Simply put, it is the transfer of pollen from the male part of the flower, the anther, to the stigma, which is the female part of the flower. Upon the two's meaning, a plant seed, nut, or fruit is then formed. Obviously, this is crucial for the existence of not only our species, but many others, as if we didn't have seeds, nuts, fruit, or vegetables, we'd be left with primarily only processed food and food that's not natural for the body to digest. Let's get started and hear about the amazing realm that is the world of the bees. This is Amy Schrodes with the Unified Threads podcast. I'm here in Ypsilanti, Michigan at Jamie Berlin's house, which is a lovely house. Thank you so much for having me over. Enjoyed seeing all of your pretty flowers outside. 
And we just picked up a bunch of swag for the Festival of the Honeybees, which is going on this weekend. Very excited. <laughs> Your kitty's over here bringing us a little <laughs> present. <laughs> Smelly present. So Jamie started a movement in Ypsilanti called Ipsy Melissa. And we've crossed paths at Growing Hope, which is an organization in town that focuses on helping teach people and empower people how to, to grow their own food and then also beekeeping is a portion of that. So that's where our paths crossed. And you're so kind to share your thoughts on the bee community, what we can learn from the bees. And starting off, I wanted to see if you could share a little bit more about what does Ipsy Melissa mean? Because your name is Jamie, but people around town call you Ipsy Melissa. Yeah, um... When I first decided that I wanted to start an organization, um, one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, what should I call it? And for some reason, I was drawn to the name Melissa. Um, and um, actually, Melissa was one of the names that my parents almost named me, but then they named me Jamie. Um, so I thought that was kind of significant, and then I found out that Melissa means honeybee in Greek. And not only does it mean honeybee, but um, Melissa was the name given to women who were priestesses at that time, um, I believe, uh, in the service of Diana, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and... Oh, well, Diane is the Roman version, um, but Artemis, I believe, is the Greek version. Okay. Well, maybe we'll look that up. <laughs> <laughs> you do some fact-checking. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, in ancient Greek religious practice, there were Now, let's talk about dance and what it means for us homo sapiens. Human dancing serves as a means of imparting movement based on information. There are three broad categories that dance could be considered to fall within. There's narrative movement, which involves the unfolding and telling of a story, depictive and expressive movement, which involves the portrayal of mood, nature, and feeling, and then movement without a particular theme. Of course, be it classical, modern, new modern, or even rock and roll punk, all three forms of movement may be found within a single dance. According to mindbody.com, the point is, like the dance of the honeybee, human dancing can be a form of language. Through movement, feelings can be expressed of tenderness, astonishment, compassion. Narrative symbolism can be employed through depictive and expressive movements. Particular aspects of the world can be portrayed, such as a wisp of smoke, a soaring eagle, the undulations of the water, and the wind blowing through the trees. Humans are not the only species to dance. Bees, birds, monkeys, and apes engage in dancing displays. As based on paintings left in ancient and forgotten caves some 15 to 25,000 years ago, it is also apparent that our human ancestors, like our ape-like cousins, were dancers as well. Among ancient humans, it is likely that dances sometimes may have served purposes related to the procurement of food. However, with the exception of the busy bee, among all other animals who dance, including humans, the procurement of a mate is a major driving stimulus factor. 
For example, male egrets dance before a potential partner to integrate interest, and if she is agreeable, they dance together. Even the male sparrow puts considerable effort into dancing for his lady love, and sometimes two or more males might dance simultaneously, competing to win her affection. So in summary, movement is in fact a main source of communication for modern human beings, and is the earliest and most primitive, as well as the most advanced form. Even spoken language is based on movement and gesture. In order to speak, words must be formed, articulated, and expressed via a complex synergy of movement, not involving only the lips, larynx, lungs, and tongue, but complex programming which takes place in the cerebellum, basal ganglia, and motor neocortex of the brain. Nevertheless, human beings have grown accustomed to listening to spoken language and paying less attention to these movement-based cues. Although potentially linguistically complex, due to the imposition of civilization and formal learning, movement as a form of communication has been diminished. It has been quite restricted. This is due to clothing for social expectations, among other mental restrictions. Isadora Duncan commented that movement is most communicative and spiritual when it is natural and unhindered by clothing. When movement is restricted, so is human consciousness. She once lamented, very little is known in our day of the magic which resides in movement and the potency of certain gestures. The number of physical movements that most people make through life is extremely limited. Having stifled and disciplined their movements in the first stages of childhood development, they resort to a set of habits seldom varied. So too, their mental activities respond to set formulas, often repeated. With this repetition cycle of physical and mental movements, they limit their expression until they become like actors who each night play the same role. Our next guest, Solomon Kruger, is going to share his vision behind helping us to re release and let go of some of these pre-rehearsed dances that we've choreographed in our head and that have convinced ourselves are only okay to do at the club. Solomon and I met in Montreal, thanks to my Airbnb host, who had never actually been to a dance herself but had been following the Flow Dance Facebook group for several months and had been working up the courage to attend one of their free Flow dance nights. Um, I've been in Montreal for many years. Um, I came from Toronto, essentially, um, wanting to um, meet other creative uh, people who are, you know, living from their heart. And I had heard a lot of amazing things about Montreal, um, so I moved here and yeah, fell in love with the city and the the culture, the French culture. It's pretty. Um, dynamic and alive um, 
the energy I would describe Montreal is like fire. It's, it has a fire quality. It's a lot of passion, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of creativity. Um, and it can be very intense. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto doesn't have that kind of energy. Um, and maybe it's inspired by the French uh, culture, the, the Quebecois who are, like, there's a history of, like, socialism and, uh, and a lot of art, and, you know, like, whether it's storytelling or circus or theater or dance, um, music, um, it's everywhere. I mean, like you saw in the Tam Tams, it's just like, you don't mm. see that in Toronto. You don't see that in a lot of places. Never seen a fire-breathing show just out of nowhere. Right. You know, as a pop-up fire-breathing and like And fire every spinning. Sunday, <laughs> LL Summer, it's like, yeah, that will happen just for free because people love doing that. It's incredible. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I came here to work as a photographer, um, which I did for um, several years, and then I took a break. And uh, I guess I'm sort of telling more of my, my yeah, story. Yeah, tell your story. I mean, that's okay. what this is all about, is connecting with okay. people that are people, people helping people. <laughs> Thanks. So I went to Asia, and uh, I spent two years in Asia, um, Taiwan, and then I traveled a bit to India, Nepal, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos. And what struck me the most when I was there was the sense of community that I'd never seen here. Um, the community in the sense of, like, People really um, did things together, that they spent time together, and um, they often thought about others before they thought about themselves, which isn't always a good thing, but it was really struck me as like, wow, that I, I was so blown away by that, um, by that quality of... Um, communalism or uh, collective collectivism that here it's like it's very individualistic um, everyone thinks about themselves and it's very competitive and generally and and it can be very isolating when you say here is in Canada or uh, in North America, North America generally okay. my experience of everywhere I've been in North America has been um, that it's this sort of survival like but thinking about oneself before mm-hmm. thinking about others Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that there's a sense that there's not enough, so we have to fight for it to survive, right? Survival of the fittest, and it's like we. I believe that people um, have been trying to live that way, and I mean, and it's not always very. Um, people aren't always successful. I mean, there's some who do really well, and some who don't. And the social systems that are in place are are not necessarily meeting all the basic needs for people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so on my my own path, when I came back from Asia, but anyway, um, in ancient Greek religious practice, there were priestesses um, who part of their religious rites and rituals included beekeeping. And they were beekeepers, they're depicted with bees, they're depicted as drumming. And when you put the bees and the drumming together, you know, you see the, the importance of vibration. And um, 
I just, I thought, bam, Melissa, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to be the name. I started it out with just Melissa, but then it was also really appealing to me to anchor the project in place. And we have a really great community here in Ypsilanti. And so we also have some Greek heritage. Um, our town is named after Demetrius Ypsilanti, who was a Greek war hero. So I thought, hey, Ipsy Melissa, it sounds good together. Yeah, so I agree. I think it sounds great. And really quick, if you could, I know that Ypsilanti is in the process of trying to become a bee safe community. Is is that the right way to word it? The the Um, bees are protected here? Well, yeah. This spring, um, there have been a couple initiatives that have come out um, that Bee City USA is a designation that Ypsilanti and Ipsy Township um, applied for and uh, received uh, this spring and summer. And Bee City USA is a nonprofit out of North Carolina started by beekeepers uh, as a way to raise awareness in communities and um, kind of lay the groundwork for communities to come together and protect pollinators together. And then there's another great program called Be Safe Neighborhoods, which actually comes out of Boulder, Colorado. And so I spearheaded the Bee City USA initiative along with community volunteer support um, and a couple of my other fellow area bee advocates, uh, Jereen Smith and Melissa Sklar, have led the Bee Safe Neighborhoods campaign. And that campaign targets a particular neighborhood and then gets, uh, I believe it's 75 pledges from within that neighborhood um, to not use uh, pesticides, to provide bee plants, um, and there there are different levels that you can pledge at. And so they actually also achieved that this year and uh, became, I believe, uh, one of the first neighborhoods in Michigan uh, that are So on my my own path, when I came back from Asia, um, I decided that I would change my career and start working more in service of helping people. So I started working at a high school, um, working with kids with behavioral problems, and, and um, yeah, and then I worked at a university, helping to develop a space into a more community um, oriented space, multi-purpose, like arts and spirituality and culture and kind of have events being hosted in the space. Um, at the same time, I, I mean, and since I've been like dancing and doing a lot of creative artsy things with artsy people, I think that's just part of who I am. Um, and I started going to this really cool dance event that was like 
no alcohol, no drugs, like people just like dancing barefoot with a DJ guiding. Um, and it was like, you know, small, 20 people every couple weeks. And I started going regularly and it blew my mind. It was like, wow, I could feel myself just totally reconnect and feel, you know, after like a good yoga class or after going for a run or like this feeling of aliveness and a feeling of just like, I feel peace in my, in my being, my whole being. Mm -hmm. I don't desire anything or anyone. I just feel whole. Mm -hmm. And it was like consistent every couple of weeks. I would just feel, feel that. And, um, but the, I think the thing that was special about it wasn't just that I felt connected. It's that I felt connected to a group. I felt connected to others as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, I realized that I was seeking like a sense of belonging, a sense of community in there. I was starting to feel a sense of community with people. Um, but I didn't know the people. I didn't know their names. I didn't know anything about them. But I felt connected to them. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Like energetically, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. So, of course, one day um, he announced, the DJ announced that um, he was going to be ending this series of um, dance events that he... Um, <laughs> He called Dance Jam, and his name is Antonio. Uh, his DJ name is DJ Nirav, who's a still good friend of mine. And so he announced, he said, I can't do it anymore. I'm working full-time. You know, I'm studying part-time in the evenings, and then plus this, it's, it's too much. I need to take a break. Mm -hmm. And he would think he was going to go travel in South America or something for a while. And my first impulse was like, no, you can't. You can't stop. Like, you know, I didn't know of anything else going on that was like this. This was probably about seven years ago, uh, maybe six six years ago, uh, and so I I said, well, if you're going to stop, then maybe I should start something. I'd already helped him out a bunch, like facilitated some of the um, the jams, and had some experience in facilitating workshops and retreats. So I had a little bit that I knew I could offer. And I had a vision also of it being more accessible for more people and more live music and it being bilingual. It was mostly in English. So he gave me his blessing and with the help of another friend who was coming regularly, um, I launched Flow uh, in 2010. Tell us the story behind how you landed in the beekeeping community, if you would. Well, it's really kind of random. Um, I remember very clearly I was on my porch on a summer evening in early June, and I was out on the porch because I would get better wireless reception <laughs> out there. I'm surfing the net, and I see this uh, PBS... A documentary called Silence of the Bees and you know I watched it uh, straight through and I was really impressed you know I was really moved I had no idea this was back in 2009 that I saw this program it aired in 2007 and I was just shocked because I wasn't hearing about it on the news I wasn't hearing about it in the community and I was um, 
I was absolutely shocked. I felt like I had to get involved. Um, the prospect of losing our honeybees mm -hmm. uh, wasn't anything that I wanted to happen mm -hmm. um, while I was alive. So yeah. I just, and I didn't know how that I, you know, I didn't know where it would lead, but I saw this film and then not too long afterward, uh, a fellow community member who was keeping bees at the time was actually uh, fined and um, reported on by a neighbor. At that time, beekeeping was not legal in the city of Ypsilanti. And so uh, this woman, Lisa Bashir, who became my mentor, uh, she fought City Hall. Uh, well, anyway, maybe more accurately is to say that she worked with other community folks and created a beekeeping ordinance, which she then presented to the city council. And cool. after deliberation, uh, they passed it unanimously, and that was November of 2009. Wow. And er Subsequently, the following spring, uh, she uh, and her, uh, the manager at the Ypsilanti Food Co-op, Corinne Sikorsky, founded the Local Honey Project, um, which is a volunteer-run beekeeping project that the food co-op runs, and Lisa is the head beekeeper, and I was one of the first apprentices with that program. Oh, cool. I've seen Silence of the Bees. I was very shocked as well. I mean, you know that on kind of a basic level, no bees, no food, but you don't have any clue, like, how, at least I didn't have any clue how close we are to that point, and that they're already having to take bees on semi-trucks around the country for some of these larger harvests just to make sure that they're getting the pollination that needs to happen, because there's not enough bees, like, in Florida for the orange trees and stuff pretty crazy. Yeah, it, unfortunately the way that our uh, agricultural system has developed um, with a lot of large-scale commercial monocrop farms, um, these spaces become food deserts for the rest of the year when that crop is not blooming. Mm -hmm. And um, because of all the pesticide use, the uh, Farms used to be uh, edged with hedgerows where wildflowers would grow, and this would provide habitat for butterflies and native bees. Mm -hmm. um, but with all the pesticide use, um, those hedgerows are not um, vital places for pollinators because they're full of poisons. Um, and so these monocrop farms cannot sustain native pollinator populations. And so, um, and we don't have enough honeybees in this country uh, locally. So all the honeybees in the United States, and probably some from Canada, uh, they all travel uh, on semi-trucks to California every year for the almond pollination. That's so sad, because I remember when you were showing me around the beehives that you're caretaking for, we talked about the semi-truck travel and how they're wrapped in, in plastic and they, they can't use the bathroom because bees aren't going to go to the restroom in their hives and they're there for 12 plus hours sometimes. It's like slave labor for the bees. It's so sad. Yeah, it's confinement and um, every now and then there's an accident and you see one of these 
semis overturned on the highway, hundreds of hives just broken open and uh, destroyed. I mean, that's kind of worst case scenario, but when you see that, it's just like you see like how wrong that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're putting their every bit of their being into making these hives and we're putting them on trucks and dragging them around all over the place without the consideration of how much those hives mean to the bees that made them. Yeah, and bees are also, um, one of the great things about bees is they're really connected to place, and that's in part because of their navigation system, and um, because it's highly dependent on uh, the relationship that where they are in relation to the sun and they memorize you know where they where their hive is in relation to the sun and so you can imagine how disorienting it would be if their hive is constantly being moved every couple of weeks oh yeah or every couple of days that would be even worse probably scary for them too <laughs> and it's like you know constantly having to like even learn like where you live and how to get home you know mm-hmm. it's, I'm sure that it's stressful yeah well that's a good segue into And we had, I actually had to find a new space at the last minute. Really? (laughs) Um, Because there was like this rule or or fire, what do you call it? Like fire code that if there was more than like 30 people, they would be like illegal. (laughs) (laughs) And there was like, it looked like there was going to be more than 30 people. So I had to find a last, a new space within like 24 hours. And I did. And and it was a success. I ended up DJing and a friend played some drums at some point. But that, that's how it started. And then I found a new space and that kept in that space. It was every two weeks and it grew very quickly to like 40, 50, 60 people within the first six months. Um, and then after that, that space was too small. And I got this job at the university working at um, the Loyola Chapel, which is where the flow is now happening. And where it's been for the past five and a, five years, almost this month it will be exactly five years, uh, I believe. Yeah, at the chapel, and so I took a chance, and I I said, well, maybe instead of every two weeks, I'll do it once a month because it's kind of out of the way. It's it's a bit far, um, and I thought, well, maybe if it's like a special event once a month, it'll bring people. Uh, people will come and. Uh, Sure enough, there was like a good turnout, like 75 people, and it's been growing since. Um, It's been like a side project, basically. Um, So the the underlying intention behind Flow was having a safe space, an intentional space, where people could come together and, um, I'd like to say... Um, feel free to move and be moved Um, what do you mean by be moved I mean it in in two senses of the word one is like 
you know when you're moved by watching a film and you like feel emotional mm-hmm. well you can be become emotional by how how we move in a space or by the energy in the space or by how we how we are together so being moved being transformed by our experience and the other way I like to think of being moved is you know, we can intentionally direct our movements I'm moving I'm, I'm wanting to move my hand like forward in front of me mm-hmm. or above and I can do the same with my feet and my hips and my body <laughs> well we can also be moved where we can also move in a way that's not directional that it's not us moving our body it's the body moving the body it's the body saying I need to lean forward right now. Mm. It feels really good. Mm-hmm. Or to shake because I really need to shake. Yeah. <laughs> Opening up shoulders, adjusting the spine. Yeah. Yeah. And, a lot. And, and it changes the way that we engage with our body. So instead of like controlling our body, we're letting the body, we're listening to how the body wants to move. Mm. And what it wants to express. So that's another way I describe flow is like it's having a space where we can let the body express, let ourselves express itself through the body and through our heart together with other people. So there's an intention to uh, connect in this authentic way, mm-hmm. in a way that um, is non, there's no judgment, it's just just to be with where we are it's like a a meditation in a way that's in movement beautiful there's live musicians that help to guide that as well Um, and there are themes sometimes that um, help to bring a focus themes like uh, the theme that's coming up is uh, dare and I don't know what's going to come it's it's in a way um, in a way I work very intuitively and also spontaneously with where what I'm feeling with what I pick up on where other people are at mm-hmm. so dare dare to I don't know what are we daring to what do we need to step into where is there bravery in us to try something new mm-hmm. um, courage to, to explore something um, mm-hmm. that normally we wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable to explore so stepping out of our comfort zone so that'll be the theme partner with folks um, in the city who are interested in lending space in their yard um, to for a beehive um, and then I also um, have provided mentoring and um, you know I kind of evaluate the program every year and you know make little changes here and there but um, those two things along with advocacy are primarily my three activities. Well, one thing um, related to what I was just talking about is just their connection um, with the cycles of the sun and their connection with place uh, because the bees are very 
tied to the cycles of the seasons and the cycles of the sun. And um, it's just raised my own awareness um, as to I believe that humans are not accepted um, from the, the physical rules of being on this planet, even though we've kind of taken ourselves out of nature to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's artificial and that what's more natural is that we are also in sync with the seasons um, on a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. um, so the bees have really raised my awareness about that. And so in my life, I'm always thinking about whether or not what I'm doing is in sync with the seasons and what's going on as directed by the sun and really you know the revolutions and rotations that are happening all the time mm -hmm. um, as we're here as physical inhabitants of this planet. for the first time and they're not sure what to expect per se or that they're just maybe feeling what am I doing and I mean do they start to, to kind of become more comfortable quickly is it a process or a little, little bit about that sure someone wants to try yeah it. so each time there's probably about 10 to 20 10 to 15 percent who are new I would say 15 yeah I'd say about 15 percent who are new um, who hear about it through their friends who are like probably had a good experience and they're like, oh, you got to check this out, right? And so they don't really know. A lot of them don't know what to expect. So I, I am aware of this and I, the, one of the first things I say is like, who's here for the first time? So people put up their hands and we celebrate, we clap. And it's like, wow, you've chosen to be here. So just acknowledging that people have chosen to take a risk to try something new and just to say, hey, that's really cool. So here you are, let's acknowledge that you're choosing to do something you wouldn't, you've never done before, you don't know what this is, so it's going to be an adventure or an experiment. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the intention that I offer to them is like to engage with their experience in a way that could be um, seen as an experiment to try out. And so I give them some clues, and so I... I, I we'll do an introduction of what flow is speaking to those people and everyone hears it and I often do it now in movement so we're actually modeling the beginning of how to get into this different mindset mm -hmm. which is okay let's walk around the space and notice how we're feeling in the space maybe we don't feel comfortable maybe we feel a little awkward maybe we feel totally at peace maybe we feel excited just notice that um, and part of the practice of flow, like meditation, is just noticing what's there and being okay with, being able to accept just what is. Maybe we won't be super comfortable, maybe we won't feel a lot of, you know, joy or <laughs> excitement, but maybe we can just, like, be okay with it. And in a way, that's, like, a, lot of, a challenge that we have in our lives. Like, we try to, like, 
control our lives so that it can be comfortable, so that we can feel good, even though we can't always, ha that's not always possible. And mm -hmm. so just like, how can we be in spaces with other people where it can be a little awkward and, and, and maybe that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's a non-judgmental sp space, so how, do we, how can we be in the space where we're just like accepting each other and we're being respectful? And so I suggest part of how we do that um, is by taking care of our own needs first. So if I need to be in my own space and like someone's dancing in my space, so I give people like a gesture of like putting your hand, your palms together and just letting people know like, hey, thank you. Um, I'm going to be in my own bubble, my own, my own space right now. And that feels good for me. And the other person can acknowledge that. And in, or even say like thank you for taking care of yourself mm -hmm. that's awesome and it just gives a space of like wow I can feel empowered to give myself what I need when we do that then it also empowers the other to say hey I'm going to take care of my needs and maybe that's dancing with someone who also feels like dancing with them mm -hmm. and it's super like you know flowing like fluid um it's not so rigid and, you know, like, okay, now go up to the next person. It's just as it feels, as it comes. Mm -hmm. Some people, so to answer your question, um, some people get into it right away. They dive in and they're like, they've probably done some movement work before or um, somewhere else, maybe ecstatic dance, maybe um, some other forms of dance or meditation or spaces where they can feel comfortable to just like be themselves fully express whatever is there um, they could be dancers they could be circus people you know who knows in Montreal especially <laughs> sure yeah um, lots of circus <laughs> yeah yeah if people come and do like acro yoga or hula hoop or you know spin poi like there's all kinds of stuff going on um so they dive in. There's another um, few or some people who I notice don't really know what to do. And they're, so I notice that they are observing a lot. They like sit on the side or they'll kind of move slowly in one spot and they'll just look around or they'll sit on the floor um, and they'll watch people dancing, they'll watch the musicians. And sometimes they'll come back and sometimes they won't. And sometimes, you know, they're just not comfortable, but they understand what's going on. Some people don't understand what's going on, and they're really uncomfortable, and it's not for them. They don't feel it. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it brings them what they need, and they don't come back. Some people have told me this, and it's fine. Uh, you know, it it's a space that I want to make accessible and, you know, for people to get a taste of what there's another way that we can connect Mm -hmm. And with movement being a pretext for connection, um, movement and dance. Now, what would you say makes connecting through movement a more unique experience? Or tell me a little bit about kind of the depth of that type of connection, in your opinion. I'd recently started doing acro yoga, and I, I don't really know the best way to explain it other than it, it seems to be its own language touch, you know, having to, to trust someone else enough to be comfortable saying, you know, your feet are really not in the right place and you move down just a little bit here, here, like getting to know bodies in a non 
romantic context. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a new idea for me, and it's been really cool. So I'm wondering, like, with dance, how does that translate to that connection style? Yeah. Um, So I believe that in order to be able to connect with anyone else, we need to first connect with ourselves. I don't think we can really be fully aware and conscious of what's going on in the relationship. Or in, I mean, relationship, I use that loosely, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but any kind of relationship with someone, mm-hmm. colleague or a friend. We can't really know fully what, well, we may never know fully, but be aware of what's going on unless we actually can feel, I believe, what's going on in us. Mm-hmm. What are we feeling... Um, what are the thoughts that are coming up? What are the desires? What are the fears? Um, are we being triggered? Are we being excited? Uh, are we... And what do we need from... And I think movement, dance, is... Um, a way... I think one among so many ways to help people, and it's helped me a lot, just, just to bring awareness of where energy is blocked and often I notice the energy is in my head <laughs> and it's it's spinning and you know thoughts and I feel really lightheaded and I'm not aware of my body I'm not aware of discomfort um, or even you know great good sensations in my body and when I move and when I like dance uh, I start to notice that something shifts in my thinking, in my feeling, I start to feel lighter, I start to feel freer, and my thoughts change as well. So this mind-body connection is present. Mm. And as I become more conscious of that, then I notice that certain thoughts that are like patterns of thinking are just stories. They're not, it's not actually real. It's based on something that happened in the past. I'm projecting it on something in the future feeling that it's happening in the moment but it's really just a passing thought and meanwhile my body has its own experience its own needs based on wherever I am as I move my body as I bring awareness to how I'm moving in this and and the kinds of ways that I'm moving I'm like it's really informing what I'm experiencing how I'm feeling and what I need um and so I can explore, well, what do I need? Do I, do I need to feel more comfort? Do I need to really shake out a lot of excess energy that may be coming from some anger or sadness or fear? And I can just move that. And it's just energy. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like to think of emotions as, maybe you've heard this before, emotion, energy in motion. I have. I actually found a fortune cookie in the middle of nowhere, the UP of Michigan, on the ground, those little fortune cookie slips that said that. Nice. So that's so synchronistic. Another awesome. synchronistic thing. So energy is energy. Emotion is energy in emotion. motion. Yeah. And if we think that energy, emotion is just energy in motion, mm-hmm. um, that what happens to our emotions if we move energy? Mm. And let's just see. Let's just see as an ex- experiment and, and tune into that. Bring awareness to that. I think that's really So that's one thing. Another really cool thing about bees is 
that they're so community oriented and they're all about togetherness. <laughs> um, well, a single bee won't survive out of the hive for more than 24 hours just because, you know, all the different functions that it does to live are dependent on cooperation with other bees in the hive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when we were looking at the hives, there was a bee that was being carried off that I think had maybe recently passed away, and they were working as a, a group to maybe get it to a resting place. I thought was really sweet. And then when they are looking for new hives, you said that they have kind of a, a voting system in a way. Yeah. Which is so cool. So amazing. Um, so many inspiring things about them. And that's really a huge one, um, is that they are, uh, to some extent, a democratic society. And the neatest part about that is while they're a democratic society, they also agree on what is an absolute good. So when they find a suitable nest site, if it's the best nest site on the table, so to speak, there's really no argument. It's just a matter of time until everybody starts to see that every bee starts to see that this is the best solution on the table, mm -hmm. and that's the one that they go for. It's a beautiful thing. And they communicate what that new potential hive site is like the scout bees do through a dance, right? They come back after scouting around. Usually there's a couple of different options on the table, a couple different bees yes. that do this dance. Yeah, there will be a handful of, or possibly more, you know, a dozen or more different scout bees, which are the older bees, the forager bees. And they go out and they scout out potential nest sites and there's you know a series of criteria which we know from the work of Tom Seeley um, including like um, dryness how high it is off the ground how large the opening is size of the cavity as a whole potentially other factors um, so the scouts go out and then they'll um, they go out from the clump, which is the swarm. Um, so they lift off from the clump of bees. They walk the site multiple times. They come back to the swarm clump. They dance on the surface of the swarm. And their dance is oriented such that um, other bees can read the dance and go to the site themselves and then come back. Oh. And so multiple bees visit the site <laughs> based on the, the description, and then they come back and then they start dancing for that same site. And, you know, whoever has the most, the biggest dance party, you know, at the end of like however long it takes them to find the best site. Um, wins, and then they, they all fly off there. Um, but yeah, they do this dance, it's called the Waggle Dance, 
um, and they also use it to indicate a rich forage patch, but they orient their bodies in the direction of the site, and then um, I believe it's the duration of the dance indicates um, how far away it is, but then the vigorousness of the dance indicates how awesome it is. <laughs> I love that. It's like we gotta do some more dancing ourselves too to show how awesome it is to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really interesting. Also, I like to think of consciousness, and there's a relationship between energy and consciousness. The more there's energy flowing in our bodies, the more conscious we are. Okay. The more conscious we are, the more we can be um, in harmonious relationship with others and the spaces we are in. And more generative, let's say, um, healthy relationships. That's a very good point. I've not heard that before. <laughs> when you first started flow dance were you thinking it was something that was going to evolve into the community that it is now I had no idea <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think that far there wasn't really a plan to you know do anything with it all I knew is that I needed a space mm -hmm. where I could move where I could feel free to move how I wanted to move um, without alcohol without substance um, without judgment and just to really like feel good in the space mm -hmm. and it continued I mean and so it so happened that there were other people who wanted that too and and they told their friends and more and more people just I discovered were seeking something similar mm -hmm. so I had no idea that there were other people who wanted that like that there were this many people who wanted this um, and it grew and it grew and it grew and um yeah, it became a little bit kind of scary. There were some points that people were like, oh, it's going to grow so big, it's going to, like, you're going to need to, like, rent the stadium or, you know, like... <sighs> you do have more than 1,000 people on your Facebook group. <laughs> yeah, almost 2,000. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but I'm, I see it as a movement, um, and that I'm stewarding and one person among many people who are doing, you know, different kinds of things to help bring people together and share in ways that are um, uh, authentic and creative and intentional. Dance is a big part. It's one of their primary um, communicative, communicative modes. And they do other dances too. Like they do this dance called the shaking dance. And I think it can have more than one application. But um, they do this dance, for example, maybe it's a day when the sun kind of comes out slowly from the clouds or something. So let's say a lot of the bees are in the hive <laughs> and they're, who knows what they're doing. They're milling around, 
Um, but one bee goes out and she's like, hey, it's a beautiful day out here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it kind of goes around and starts shaking the bees. Oh, like, wake you up. Know, let's Come go. on, let's go forage. Um, or, you know, if there's anything else that needs to be done, you know, they'll use that shaking dance to kind of to awaken the rest of the bees to, to action. That's so cool. So, yeah. Very cool. It's like bringing some energy into the hive. All right, guys. I'm spreading the love. Spread the love. It's time that we need to do something now. No more complacency or something. They may be working inside of the hive, too, because obviously they do a lot of work in the hive as well. Yeah. I like that, though. Let's go outside. Let's get out. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, initially, when I started, I realized that, you know, I needed to move. So, this was, this was the first kind of idea but as I've been doing it over the years I realized I've realized that that movement and dance is a pretext it's a great thing that people love to do and that's awesome but as we start to move together there's questions that come up like as we dance what are we feeling and why why are we what do, what's bringing us here really like what's mm-hmm. the underlying motivation but there's something behind wanting to dance together in this way and in these kind of spaces at flow. Mm-hmm. And so a motivation for me is um, is building a conscious community, um, meaning uh, ways of being and sharing uh, that are um, that are more conscious, more. Uh, centered in the heart and in the body so not just what do I need to get from the other person but what can I contribute to this community mm-hmm. it's a very different paradigm yeah. and I think that's where I'd like to what I'm, I'm trying to build it's like how do we be in service to love um, in a place of like unconditional love or, and compassion and of course that can manifest or that can come about in a lot of different ways it can look like a lot of different things one way is just an openness to see you and you to see me for who I am and to see you as you are and to honor that and say wow you're like really hurting right now or you're really like desiring to like scream like I see that and I hear that and I honor that and here's a space where you can do that mm-hmm. because you're taking responsibility for that need to express that emotion Mm-hmm. And and we need spaces like that. So to me, flow is like a practice for ways we can live in the world where we're taking responsibility and honoring ourselves and each other mm-hmm. in bringing our, our gifts forward, sharing those gifts, and then also um, holding space for like some of the, the shadow and the, 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 the unconscious or the... Um, I guess some of the patterns that we struggle to like heal or transform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be a huge need is um, like an outlet, I guess you could say, where people can go, and it's, it's not necessarily driven around in alcohol or other substances. You know, that doesn't. I know at least when I was in the, the bar scene, going out quite a bit there was still a lot of, of anxiety, stress built up internally of the not feeling of being enough or am I really on the right path or, you know, and I just, 
all I was really ever looking for is somebody to listen, <laughs> you know, somebody to talk to. And I'm very fortunate to have so many friends that do listen, and especially as kind of jumped off of this cliff on this new journey and meeting so many more people like you that are open to authentic relationships and how important that is. And it seems to be that most people want to be of service, at least from what I was experiencing working at the Humane Society. It's like 20, 30 volunteer applications a week. Everybody wants to help somehow. It doesn't always necessarily seem like there's enough work to do, at least at the organization I was at, to put all those people to work. Mm-hmm. So where do you see the whole kind of service element coming in? I mean, do you think it's helping out each other in like a neighbor capacity or in a different way? Like what, is your, what does service mean to you? Yeah. To me, service is about um, contributing in any way that is helping someone other than yourself. Mm-hmm. And that it may bring you some gratitude or joy, but that's secondary to giving for the sake of giving. Your time, your energy, um, resources that you have, skills, um, know-how. I mean, it can be anything, really. Anything that you have to offer to others, even just to listen, like you said. Mm-hmm. Giving someone a sense of presence and like unconditional like active listening is a huge gift um, and that's being of service Um, and I think that's coming from like a deeper motivation of like interconnectedness and um, and like seeing something that's more than the personality you know like it's it's about something deeper something maybe spiritual Mm-hmm. Um, where we're here to make a difference um, mm-hmm. in the ways that we live that it's not just about getting by it's about how do we be um, how do we thrive how do we you know live joyfully and harmoniously together mm-hmm. and together is a key thing it's like I don't think we can do it alone I don't think we I don't think we could go off somewhere with you know however much money, you know, and be happy. One word or phrase that you would use to describe the community that is the bees. You've been doing a lot of observation of bees for several years now. What are you... Yeah, I guess... Um... You know, I could think about this question for days and probably come up with a lot of really important, significant, beautiful words that would be a window into my experience and appreciation of bees. Um, But I think that one of the key things that it's easy to forget is that a beehive is a super organism. And so each one of those bees are part of the bee that is the super organism that is that hive, that is that community of bees working together. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I think it's good for humans to be reminded of that. Um, it's kind of like the one that is the many, mm-hmm. um, made up of the many. Mm-hmm. And it also highlights the importance of working together and the reason that they're able to work together so well and have this hive, which was what I was going to choose and then I thought of superorganism, um, is their ability to communicate. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, communication. That's what got them up to that, you know, the next evolutionary level to be a collective society um, is their ability to communicate. Cool. So I, I would say superorganism. Superorganism and communication has been key in them continuing to thrive as a species. make it happen there's a lot to be said with you can do anything you think you can do will it make you happy once you've done it (laughs) that's what I'm trying to learn more lessons about Mm -hmm. we all seem to want to be loved you know and you know that's what I was craving so much and I feel I feel loved it's now learning more about how when I meet people that are also in that kind of same place, no matter what socioeconomical status they're at, everyone is looking for not necessarily a hug, but a lot of people are looking for a hug. I know some people that aren't, but people like yesterday I was in the park and there was Park Royale picnic going on. There's a guy in a tiger suit giving out hugs. So that was really fun. And then he gave you a hug card and he told you to pass the hug on to someone. And so I went over to a guy and asked if he would like a hug and he didn't really speak English very well but I showed him the card and it was also in French and so he he saw it and he said oh I've been needing a hug since yesterday and he just it was a beautiful moment you know and I could have been a little scared and been like okay well I've gotten my hugs and I'll put this card away and maybe later or whatever but just like being brave and believing that other people are looking for that same type of belonging as well mm-hmm. yeah. learning, learning about how that how does that play into our everyday lives that feeling of okay we've got it we have to make money to, to pay the bills can we do it more cooperatively where we're still getting some of this mutual exchange of love and not feeling like we're trying to do more than another person because we need to get ahead or you know sometimes that I mentality comes in instead of the we mentality when you're in mm. traditional ladder type systems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any knowledge to share on that <laughs> well there's a place for the I um, uh, and I think it like as I mentioned before I I think we need to be aware of of where we're at and what we need and how do how do we meet that. Um, and 
um, I think when we start to see where other people are, we see these com common patterns of like, well, we're all kind of looking for similar things or the same things ultimately, like mm -hmm. sense of belonging, a sense of safety, sense of like, um, um, you know, uh, sense of purpose and meaning, mm -hmm. um, needing to create and, you know, contribute somehow like of ourself in society um, and I think it can be in a hierarchical way you know where we're working for someone and you know part of that kind of machine old machine mentality mechanistic system but there's another system I think and it's that there's like these circles that overlap And it's like I have my my own experience and my own things that make me unique, mm -hmm. and there are parts of there are parts that are like shared by others, mm -hmm. whether they're needs or um, spaces or um, ideas, beliefs, visions, mm -hmm. and if they overlap with others, wow, maybe we can actually do something with that. We can create, we can help each other, mm -hmm. and we don't have to do it with money mm. we can do it in so many other ways that I think now it's starting to become like you know there's this new wave of organizations um, that are all about the commons and you know the, this sort of sharing culture and mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's all perfect um, it's all like good but but it's interesting to see that they're like people are organizing in different ways and whether it's community run or non-profit or for-profit there's ways that people are like trying to like facilitate exchanges that go beyond like a financial like trade transaction um, mm -hmm. yeah so it's not clear um, it's you know I think it's, it's very uh, complex and it's mm -hmm. very emergent in how things like how people are organizing and but I think as we see that private institutions and um, and public institutions are not really meeting those needs as maybe they used to there's like budget cuts and you know um, pensions are being like cut and like investments are being lost and um, you know these ideas of like well, what's happening in, like, Greece and other countries in the world um, um, I think are, are signs of, like, well, we need to mobilize and be more empowered in with ourselves, among ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't have to rely on, in fact, we can't, no longer, we can no longer rely on institutions to take care of essential needs. Well, this is really something to believe in That is new to believe in Oh baby please tell me That you love me one more time I was wondering if there's anything that you'd like to share as, as far as like simple recommendations people could take to heart and start thinking about the pollinators in their neighborhoods. 
Um, yeah. First of all, I think it's really important to, um, to like change our stance toward bees or like evolve our stance, our relationship with bees. Um, and so, you know, love the bees. Like, think about bees with love. Um, appreciate what they do. Um, and that's one of the reasons I do the festival of the honeybee is so that we can just spend the whole weekend celebrating and appreciating the bees and really acknowledging what they do. Um, but of course, also, there are actions that we can take. Um, and that includes um, chemical-free lawns, um, meadows, letting your yard be taken over by wildflowers that would normally grow there, mm -hmm. um, doing a little research into what native plants thrive in your region and planting those because they also support native bees. Um, and native bees, unfortunately, are also under crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so we really need to need to pick up the mantle and kind of take responsibility, reclaim our position as stewards, mm -hmm. stewards of the earth, stewards of the bees, um, and start to live sustainably so that we can live with all this beauty and abundance that we're gifted with here on this earth. So I think this is something that... Um, People are exploring and experimenting with, and um, and that to be more conscious. I think it's interesting to explore that in in ways that we don't need anything. We just just our breath, just awareness, and just good intention. Just with that that um, I recently heard this awesome quote from this um, five rhythms teacher from Amsterdam, Mark. Lanfers, and he said, "We, you have the breath, uh, you have the body, and the dance. Everything else is just camouflage." Special thank you for the musicians who donated their talents for this episode. Marian Baynam was playing, playing underneath the Basilica in Montreal when I wandered up and asked if I could record some of her tunes. You can find her on Facebook at facebook.com slash M-A-R-I-A-M hyphen B-E-H-N-A-M. Also thank you to the Tam Tam drummers at Montreal Park on Sundays who are rocking it out with some amazing jams. And of course, Shy Hollowell, which you can also find on Facebook and YouTube under C-H-E-Y-H-A-L-L-I-W-I-L-L. -L -L. Namaste to everyone. Thank you.
Thank you. 